Good things are happening. Come on. Do you believe it? Good things are happening. Say it. This is the year where everything gets shook loose. Come on. Say it with me. You believe it? This is the year of shaking loose. Everything that's been withheld from me is coming my way. Do you believe it? Do you have faith? We're Christians. We're supposed to believe something, aren't we? Is that true? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Those that come to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So we want to welcome everybody watching by live stream. We want to welcome all you here this morning. If you do us a favor and share the stream, that would be amazing. That would be fantastic. Let somebody else have some hope this morning. Share it. Pass it along. We're talking about expectancy. Expectancy. Say this with me. If I want to walk, come on, you got to say it like you mean it, man. You're talking, you were making professions of faith. So put some faith on it. Say it. If I want to walk in destiny and the purpose that Jesus has for my life, I must increase my level of expectation and I must become an expert in standing. And that's right. You were created as the object of God's love. So like before we get into this whole expectation thing, we're going to just set the baseline down and try to give you a little bit of general understanding as why God made you and who you are to him. He didn't make you to serve him. We serve him because we love him. We serve him because we honor him. Jesus didn't create you to take out the trash. He's got angels for that. He created you to be loved. You were created on purpose with a purpose. You were created for him, by him, to him through him. That's why life doesn't make sense without him. But you also have to understand that you were created to be the object of his love. That's who you are. The Bible says that God is love, which means he is the abundance and the fullness of love. You ever been so full of love that you had to give it somewhere? You know, loneliness is a result of also having a capacity to love and nowhere to put it. You feel lonely, you feel empty, you feel frustrated because you're so full of this love or something that you want to give and you have nowhere to put it. That's true. That's true love. You were created by love. God created you by love. Agapeo. He created you to benefit you. That's right. Everything else, everything about this, everything about Christianity, everything about the spirit, everything about, uh, <laughs> everything about the way the kingdom works, it's founded and based in love. But it's not love in the, in the emotional sense. It's love in the agape, the intentional sense. So when the Bible says God loves you, you were created to be loved. God created you so that he could do good in your life. Sins wrecked it all, so we're not going to get into the problem. But we want to get into the purpose as to why we were created. In Christ, you're restored in relationship. Sin separates the relationship. Jesus restores it. So if you're in Christ, the relationship with God is restored. And you are now in alignment to become the object of his love and to receive his love. You were created by his love, for his love. You were created for generosity. The Lord is full of generosity. I don't know if you know that. He's generous. He doesn't need anything. He told David, if I needed something, I wouldn't tell you. I love that verse. I love it. Because we think Jesus needs something. If he's to be told David, David, if I needed it, I'm not telling you, man. You're not the one who provides for me. I provide for you. I am. You were created by love and you were created for his generosity. The Lord is generous and you were created for partnership. This is probably the most beautiful part of the whole thing because we go, yes, the Lord loves me and he's seeking my benefit. Yes, the Lord is generous and he is kind. This is his, this, these are his willful intentions to us. 
His willful intentions are to love you. His willful intentions is to be generous to you. That's his will towards you. But he has an even greater thing where he invites you into partnership. He wants to do it with you. Isn't that amazing? Come on, that's amazing. Right? You can't do it without him and he won't do it for you. There are things that he's done for you, but as far as beyond, you know, everything, even when you get born again, it's a partnership, Christian. People say, we don't, we don't help God. We don't work with God. We don't do anything with God. God does it all. Oh, really? You have to be born again. You have to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. You have to partner with the process or it doesn't happen. Your prayers are partnership. Your faith is partnership. Right? Let's go beyond even actions. So we have actions. We have things that, that there are certain things that we do that bring things into our lives, but there are also things that release heaven in our lives. Prayer releases heaven, Christian, or the right, the effectual, the affecting prayers, the right lined prayers are the ones that avail. Praying the right way, praying not as a victim, praying as a victor, right? Praying not as a loser, but praying as a son and daughter. Those are the types of prayers that affect heaven, prayers that have faith, but that's partnership. Faith is partnership. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. They that become to him must believe that he is and that he is generous rewarder of those who seek him. It's partnership. It's all partnership. It's not case sirrah sirrah. This is everything's God's will. Not everything's God's will. Who told you that? Who told you that? <laughs> I just drove my car through about five feet of water. Probably fried the relay in it. It was dumping rain. I don't know if you all were here. I don't know if you guys experienced that on Friday. Or maybe it was just some anomaly to me. But it was like, it was like the flood of Noah, right? It was blinding. I couldn't even drive. And I'm going to Walmart to help my wife. And I pull into the Walmart parking lot. And I got to go down the back way. And I'm, all of a sudden, water is rushing into the car. You know, I'm going through what I think is a puddle. And I'm actually going down a thing. And water's rushing into my car. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm going to stall. And the guy behind me is like, go, man. And I'm like, and I get up out of the water, and it stalls. And so water got in the motor. Oh, it was God's will, Pastor. That was God's will. Was it? <laughs> Not everything is God's will. It's interesting how that's on the eve of the night that my wife's supposed to do this big women's conference, right? So there's like 40 women over there, and it's like that night. So it's like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. She's got to be there at 4. She's like, hey, would you run to Walmart for me? I'm like, sure, you know. And I'm calling her on the phone. I'm like, uh... It was wild. I didn't even have my phone with me. Is that nuts? Car stalled, broken down, in the water. I don't have my phone. Out of nowhere, this is amazing. Out of nowhere, I, I get out of the car, and I step out of the car, and I'm in knee-deep water. That's how deep the water was on the upside of it. I, I mean, it was like, I don't know how I got into that place. But these two girls, these two young girls just appear. I literally open my door and step out, and these two girls are standing there in the rain going, would you like, to, would you like us to help you push the car? I'm like... <laughs> I'm like, I could really use your cell phone. Meanwhile, the mechanics over at Walmart are in the garage looking out going, I'm going out on that, you know. And these two, went, two young girls are out there just getting soaked, wanting to help me push the car. It's amazing. And then they gave me the phone. I called Sherry. My wife's like, what? you got to be kidding me. You know what I said? It was God's will, Sherry. It's God's will. <laughs> Not everything's God's will. Not everything's God's will. Say this with me. Jesus, Jesus. loves to exceed my expectations. Do you know that? He loves to exceed your expectations. This is why he needs faith. He needs faith because it gives him something to work for. Faith is the currency of heaven. 
Human need is not the currency of heaven. Oh, if God just sees my need. No. When Jesus sees the faith is when he moves. Read the story. Saw the faith of Centurion. Boom. They lowered him through the roof. Saw the faith of the friends. Boom. He moved. It wasn't need. Jesus didn't look at that guy and go, you poor victim, you. You poor person, you. You poor whatever. He moved on their faith. The centurion, he moved on their faith. He didn't move on the need. That's not what happened. Even when he went to heal the 5,000 people, or feed the 5,000, he looked at them. He had compassion on them. He looked at Philip and said, hey, Philip, what do you think? And Philip, said, Philip had already calculated. Philip must have been an accountant. He was just like, you know, 5,000 denaria wouldn't do, it, wouldn't do it. You know, we don't have enough money to feed these people. You should send them away. And he said, no, you give them something. And Jesus said, we don't have enough. And the Lord goes, well, bring me what you have. Give me faith. Give me something to work with. Put something in my hand that tells me you expect me to do something. And they brought him loaves and fishes, did they not? They put something in your hand. He said, here it is, Lord, but we don't know what you're going to do with this. And Jesus said, watch. I will exceed your expectations. He's the God who exceeds your expectations. You've got to put something in his hand. You've got to put something in his hand. You've got to put faith on it. Believe God for something. There should be an active desire in dreams within the heart of the believer, pressing and pushing into greater and greater levels of expectation. And this place should be filled Brimming over with testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony. It's a house of testimony. It's a house of prayer. We should be, man, you look what the Lord did. You're going to be like, no way, that's crazy. We should be encouraged because God is the God of the breakthrough. Amen. He's the God of the breakthrough. He's the one who loves to break into impossible situations and reverse their effects. This is who he is. He loves to come into the impossible. This is, he, he, this, he's the master of this. He loves it. He loves to come in and do what no one says he can do, and he loves to reverse the effects of the impossible. That's, that's really what he wants to do. He doesn't want to do the average. If you really want to know how Jesus shows up, he waits till everything else is exhausted. When there is no one else can do anything else, he's like, okay, time for me. He loves to put on that Superman cape and roll in. That's how he is. That's who he is. Everything else is beneath him. You can do that. Call on me. Let me do what only I can do. This is what it's all about. Ephesians chapter 2. To know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. Talking about expectation. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. So Paul tells this church, this very legalistic and very knowledgeable church. The church at Ephesus was knowledge to the core. They were born in the spirit. They got, when, they got, when, when Jesus showed up in Ephesus, he showed up in power. Miracles, signs, and wonders. But then they became too cool for school, and they became doctrinally aligned. And we read 90 years later in the book of Ephesus, Paul saying, you have left the agape. You are doctrinally correct. Go repent and do the former works. What were the former works? Signs and wonders. Miracle and power. That's where their former works. Their former works weren't doctrine. Nothing wrong with doctrine. But if your doctrine neuters the power of the Holy Spirit, you need to correct your doctrine. And they had their doctrine right. And so Paul is telling this church, the first thing you need to do is experience the power of God's love. That's what that word know. It's not in the head. It's epignosis. It means experiential knowledge. That you would know the love of God. That you would experience the love of God. This is what he's telling them. 
Because once you experience the love of God, you're never going to be the same. Once you know that God loves you and once you experience how good he is to you and who you are to him, you're never going to be the same. And be filled. Come on. Amen. And that you would be filled with all the fullness. So Paul's saying, before we do anything here, let's understand that you were created by love. You were created for love. And you were created for his fullness, which is his generosity. That you would be filled with his love, experience his love, and filled with his fullness. And he said, now once we got that understood, we need to increase the level of our expectation. So you need to experience his love, let his fullness come into you, and increase the level of your expectation. Now to him who is able, say it with me, able, able. to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that is in us, to him be glory, through the church, through all generations, and into the age to come. His goodness isn't stopping when the kingdom comes. His goodness is going to go on eternally. The only difference between now and then is that the goodness of God won't be resisted. Oftentimes the enemy resists us. So when you get to heaven, you're going to have the goodness of God without any resistance. That's right. <laughs> I don't know if you got the memo. The devil's not going, right? <laughs> He's not going. So the goodness and the flow of the Spirit in our lives and the presence of God will be un- unencumbered. But now it is. But he's telling, he's telling them this. He's telling them, increase the level of your expectation because the one, who, the one whose love you experience and the fullness you encounter is the same one who will do above and beyond what you can ask or think. So, what, so my question would be on that, what are you asking for? Most Christians ask for Nothing. Nothing. They believe God for nothing. They have faith on nothing. What are you believing God for? If I was to tell you what are your three greatest expectations for this coming 12 months, what would they be? Could you tell me? What are you expecting God to do? What are you expecting him to do? <laughs> I got one. What do you, I'm not telling you to shout it out, but if you want, that's fine. We need to be, he's able to do above what we could ask or think, but what are you asking for? He's not going to do above anything if you don't ask him for it. He's got to do anything above it if you're not thinking. What do you think? What do you perceive he can do? And what do you perceive is possible? That's what he wants to exceed. He wants to exceed what you're expecting. And he wants to exceed what you're asking and thinking for. But if you're not presenting it, he's not exceeding anything. This is why it's like, you know, nothing. Believe God. It says to the one, right, this, right, who is able. This word able is dynamic power. Force of will or desire. In other words, when you put your faith in the Lord and you begin, he will impose his will if necessary. And he will impose his desire. He will turn all circumstances to your favor. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever seen that, right? God begins to turn all the circumstances to your favor. He imposes his will. He says, no, that's not the way it's going to go. Man says yes, or man says no, and Jesus says yes. And he changes the season. It might take him a month or two. It might even take him a year. But he'll turn that circumstance around. Yeah. Some of you have had the imposition of man's will upon you. And you know that's not God's will. If you believe God, he'll turn that whole thing around. He'll make your enemies your footstool. Yeah. He'll make your accusers your lapdog. That's right. But you got to put faith on it. The one who is able with dynamic power, force of will and desire. He wants to. <laughs> he wants to turn it around. Do you give him the ability? 
Well, God's going to do what God's going to do. Not without an invitation. So we don't understand. You have to invite him. He stand, the Holy Spirit stands like this until you invite him. You have to invite him. He wants to turn it around. Do you? That's the question. He's not going to want it more than you. Blind Bartimaeus, man at the pool. Jesus didn't want to heal him more than they wanted to be healed. Uh-uh. Bartimaeus, Jesus walked right on by him. You got to read it. The, whole, the, the core of that story is desire. He's calling out. Jesus is walking by. Son of David, have mercy on me. He knew who he was. Jesus didn't hear him. Son of David, have mercy on me. Kept right on going. And the crowd, or the, the religiously correct, were seeing that Jesus was ignoring his cries. And they said, shut up. You're bothering him. And Bartimaeus, in the depth of his heart, and in, not out of, you owe me something, but out of passion, began to drive with his desire. And he said, son of David, have mercy on me. And there's something that changed in, in Bartimaeus' expectation that caused Jesus to stop. And you know what Jesus walked over him and did? Anybody know the question? What did he ask Bartimaeus? Anybody know? What do you want me to do for you? The brother's sitting on the ground with a rag on his eyes and a cup in his hand. It's obvious, isn't it? Jesus looks at him. What is your expectation of me? What is it that you desire from me? I'm not going to do for you what you're not inviting me to do. I'm not going to want this more than you want it. You want mercy. Okay, what does mercy look like to you, Bartimaeus? What is the expectation that you place upon my mercy? What is the demand that you place upon the anointing that I carry? We put it that way. We get real charismatic on that one. Right? What demand do you place upon my anointing? And he said that I might see. And Jesus gave it to him, didn't he? Exceeded his expectation. It's got to matter to you. <laughs> well, God's going to change my marriage. Are you expecting him to? With fervent expectancy? Are you expecting him to? Are you putting your hand on that? And by faith, Father, I thank you that you will change my marriage. By faith, Lord, I thank you that you will change my business. By faith, Lord, I thank you that you're going to turn it around. Are you just like, oh, it's so bad. Why doesn't God see me? Oh. That's how we are. Victims. You're not victims, you're victors. Stop acting like a victim. Your world's going to change on that. You can pivot on that alone. And you would see probably 40, 50 percent transformation in your life. Significant transformation if you would just stop acting like a victim. He doesn't know who you are. You're not a victim. Say it with me. I am not a victim. I am a victor. I will never again posture myself before my father as a victor, as a victim, as a victim. <laughs> That's right. Thank you. <laughs> never again. It's his will, according to the flow, the inflow that works in us. So it's God's desire and it's his willful intent to turn it around. And he will impose his will. If you can impose your expectation, are you asking and thinking? That's the question, Christian. Are you asking? Anybody seen miracles? Anybody? Anybody ever seen the turnaround? Right? Anybody? Yeah, exactly. You've seen it. Yeah. Most of the turnarounds you've seen, there's been some partnership. Right? You had to change something or you had to do something. You had to call upon him. You had to position yourself. You had to ask. There was something that you had to do in order to make that happen. You have to know that Jesus is good. You have to experience his love. This is the presence, people. Learn to practice the presence. Doing a whole thing on anointing tonight in fire starters. If you want to come, it's going to be great. It'll be really good. It's all about the presence, what the anointing is, and why it's given to us. It's not just given to you to make you happy. 
although that's part of it. <laughs> makes you feel good, make you feel alive, make you feel exciting. Four o'clock here at the church, we're doing it. We do it. Jesus loves to dream up ways to break into the impossible and change it. He loves to dream it up. He wants you to ask him. He wants you to ask him. He's going to go, I'm going to give you, I'm going to, let, me, let, me, let me dream about this. Let me see, let me see, let me see what I can do here. Let me find a really cool, creative, and artistic way to do this. To where that when it's done, no one can say that I didn't do it. Right? That's how he is. No, no one's going to say that this was anything but me. And there are many things that you can look in your life and you say, if it was, if this, was this didn't happen, Jesus did this. People didn't do this. Jesus did this. Everybody said no, and the Lord said yes. He's dreaming up new ways. You are loved. Your father is generous. He has made you an heir of all things. You are heirs of all things. Oh, so good. His desire and willful intent is in the, necess is in the necessity of partnership. The first thing we got to understand is who we are, who he is. Isaiah 43, 18 says, say it with me. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Know what he's telling them? Stop looking at your past. Stop looking at your past. Stop seeing you as the old you. Right? You're trapped in a world. Stuck in a moment. Can't get out of it. Bono, you too. <laughs> Some of you know, you too fans, you know that song. Behold, I will do a new thing. He says, behold. Anytime the word behold is in the Bible, it means pay attention. It means open up your eyes. Behold. Behold. Like, I want you to understand, behold. Pay attention to this. I'm going to do something new, and it's going to spring forth. I'm not going to leave you in your past. I will bring you out of your circumstances. Shall you not know it? I will make a road in the wilderness and a river in the desert. Amen. How many knows when you're in the wilderness, you need a road because you're lost? Lord's like, I'm going to make a way where men say there is no way. I'm going to make a way where circumstances say there is no way. I'm going to exceed your expectation. I'm going to give you a river in the desert. How many knows that's not normal? I don't know if you've been to the desert lately. <laughs> They're not doing a lot of canoeing in the desert. <laughs> There's no rivers in the desert. The Lord said, I'm going to do what's impossible. I will do this. You need what your job, your partnership is. Stop looking at your insufficiency. Stop looking at your failure. Look at my sufficiency. Stop looking at what you don't have and start looking at who I am and who you are to me. Don't remember the former things. Stop looking at that. That's what happens. That's one of the things that impedes the power of God in our life is our past. Right? doesn't mean there's not issues with your past that you have to reconcile or deal with. But so many people live in their past. Even as Christians. Well, we're just sinners saved by grace. Sinners saved by grace. Well, we, we're sinners saved by grace. I'm a son who was bought with blood. That's who I am. I'm not a sinner saved by grace. That was a long time ago. That sinner that got saved by grace was bought with blood to stand in the position of sonship and an heir, a rightful heir of this world and the one to come. And so are you in Christ. You may not realize that, but that's a spiritual fact. You may not activate that. That may not be what's active in your life. But the spiritual fact remains that you are a son and daughter bought by blood and you are an heir of this world and the one to come. You are an heir. 
Paul says all things are yours. What? Jesus said everything's been given to me and I give you the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will manifest all of me to you. And Paul said everything belongs to you. Everything is yours. You're an heir of that world. When the world comes, be or not, little ones, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the what? Anybody know? The kingdom. You're getting the kingdom, Christian. When that world, when you pass in from life to death, you're going into his world. When he comes and establishes his rule and the reign on the earth, you know who he gives it to? You. You. You will be apportioned in that kingdom. All will be provided for. But your faith and your determination and your walk with him will determine your apportion in that world. Absolutely. You're all going to get something. So what do you want? Everything you've done for him will be rewarded. Everything you've done for you will not. Your works will be tried as hay, wood, and stubble. Everything that was done in the flesh for your natural means and for everything that related to you and your glory and your identity and your self-purposes will burn like hay, wood, and stubble. Everything you've done for him will be purified and will be get like gold and, gold and silver. Say, well, what if I don't ever do anything? The Bible says if you do nothing and your works are burned away, they will get in but by smoke. There are people who will be born again who never did anything for Jesus. They never partnered with him. They didn't even do the minimum standard. They did very, very little, but they got saved. And they're going to come into the kingdom and you're going to realize them because their, their backside, their butt's going to be smoking. We're all going to be standing there bejeweled and bedazzled. And we're going to be looking at them like, oh, you're one of those, huh? Yeah, right. You don't want to be the dude that comes in the kingdom or the girl that comes in the kingdom with your rear end smoking because everybody's going to know, oh, 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 partner with the Lord. I'll tell you the minimum standard. The minimum standard is the church. Christians don't understand that. They don't understand. You do nothing, but the minimum standard is his house. The Lord says the least you could do is entrust it with the stewards. This is the, this is the house of stewardship. The least, the minimum that I require of you is faithfulness within my church. Obedience and servitude and honor, which is really what it's all about within my church. That's the minimum standard. And we can't even let the pillow go on Sunday morning. So true. So true. What if there was gold attached to that? What if there was treasure sitting on the chair? Right? But let's even forget about our own selfish rewards. What if, because like Jesus will motivate you whatever way, whatever way you can be motivated. If he's got to talk to you about you, this is where your reward is. That's fine. But what if you were someone who could be motivated by a higher standard? Because the highest standard is honor. What if it wasn't about you at all? But the Lord's okay because he'll do whatever it takes to get you in front of him. He'll do whatever it takes to coagulate you as a family. You see it in Miami. Miami is one of the least church nations cities in the country. Church attendance here is abysmal. Abysmal. Fast Company said it's the, the place where you are least likely to find a Christian. Top of the list, Miami. That's right. Top of the list. Most likely place where you will not find a professing Christian. But my faith says, and my expectation says, that the Lord is turning it around. That's what I say. And that this city isn't, is going to be one of the most faithful cities. That this city is going to have the most faithful people. That this city is going to be filled with people that said, I came running when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. You see, in Miami, they go, I go sailing when they say to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I stay in bed when I say, let us go to the house of the Lord. I go to my abuela's house when they say to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. We put everything in front of Jesus. Everything. And if you understand the standard of discipleship, nothing comes in front of Jesus. 
Nothing. If you cannot deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. If you cannot deny mother, father, brother, sister, sailing, abuelas, dinner parties, all this other stuff, if you cannot deny that and place me in preeminence, you are not worthy of me. Just be real clear. Paul didn't say that. I mean, every, every, all the scripture. But these are, these are direct words from Jesus himself. If you place anything in your life and your life is guided by any other preeminence other than me, you're not worthy of me. That's the standard. And they all looked at him and said, well, I'm going home. I can't handle this. That's when they all left. That's when they all left. When Jesus told them, this is what it looks like. You're not following me for fish and chips. Right? You're not following me for what my hand can do. Fish and chips, right? Y'all know the Bible. Y'all read your Bible. Loaves and fishes, fish and chips, right? You guys get it. Miracles, signs, and wonders. Jesus was fun, man. Everywhere Jesus went, it was a show. <laughs> it was a show. Blind, lame, lepers, bread from heaven, demons. It was like, you walk around with a bag of popcorn following him. You're like, what's going to happen now? I don't know. Let's go. <laughs> and Jesus said, well, what are you following me for? Are you following me for the skinny jeans and the smoke machines? Are you following me because it's a scene? Are you following me because it looks good on your Instagram account? Or are you following me because I am Lord? Who, exactly. Exactly. We speak faith in the name of Jesus. God, see, I start teaching on expectation. It always happens. Always happens. Always happens. Always happens. This is why I'm very slow. Because everything I call you to, the Lord calls me there first. He's like, oh, okay, big boy. Where are you at on this? And I'm like, oh, I don't know, Lord. It's like, what's your level of expectation? Where's your faith? I want you to start putting faith on stuff. I want you to start putting faith on it. I want you to start speaking expectation. I want you to believe me for the impossible. I want you to believe me for the rivers in the desert. I want you to believe me for the way in the wilderness. I want you to believe me to turn things around. Hmm? Maybe God wants to do something in this city because men say it can't be done. That's right. Because they say it can't be done. It's true. And maybe God says, that's exactly what I'm looking for. <laughs> Who's with me? Come on, put faith on that. Let's put faith on that. I'm doing it. I'm going to give myself a high karate every time I want to get discouraged. <laughs> put faith on it, Kevin. <laughs> Don't act like that. Rise up. Expect. The pain of disappointment in our past often stops our faith, of our, our faith and our expectation. Our past failures make us not want to go again. Anybody? Anybody here? Yeah. Yeah. If you're over the age of 25, you're well acquainted with this thing. Yeah. It's true. Life teaches you. Life teaches you. Sure does. And our pain and, our pa and the failures of our mistakes and the circumstances of a broken and fallen world and things we don't understand make us discouraged and not want to put expectation on anything new. We don't. We put our, but our, our desire is to put our things in Jesus and to come again. Your past is over. Your past is over. You know what, Jesus, the only thing Jesus wants you to know about your past? <laughs> I'll tell you. He wants you to know, he's going to ask you one question. He'll probably ask you a couple others, but the first question he's going to ask you is, have we learned anything, Kevin? <laughs> you failed. I failed. Have we learned anything? <laughs> I've, I've learned not to do that again, any, Lord. I may not know what I'm supposed to do in the future, but I know for sure I'm not doing that anymore. 
That's what God's all about. He's the God of go again. Go again. Go again. Go again, Peter. I denied you three times. Go again. Go again. Once more into the breach, Peter. Go again. He's the God of the go again. Man. The pain and the disappointment. Here's another thing that stops us. Is we get married to something Jesus did in the past. Right? We build monuments to something he did then. Listen, our monument is not in what he did. Our monument is in who he is. I was part of a church. This is a funny story. This is actually a true story. I was part of the church and one of the founders of the, the sort of the movement, um, they were, I don't know, moving locations or something and they were, the church was going to get a new pulpit. And the, everybody's like, oh no, pastor, we can't get a new pulpit. We can't. So many God-searing messages have been spoken from that pulpit. You have to keep the pulpit or at least let us build a case around it. <laughs> Enshrine it, you know, put it in the lobby where it's turning all the time. <laughs> the object is not that. So it's what Moses, Moses held up the serpent, right? The brass serpent in the wilderness, which is a symbol of Jesus. Suffering servant, the one, the bronze, the bronze sacrifice. The one who will be held up holds the dominance over the snake. That's the symbol. Lift up the suffering symbol. And he held it up to the people and they said, look to that, right? Look to the emblem of what this is. And the people began to worship it. Isn't that crazy? They began to worship this thing of brass. And Moses smashed it on the ground and said, no, who should they? He said, a thing of brass. He said, is nothing. This is nothing. The event is nothing. Jesus is everything, right? What he did in the past, he'll do again. That's the good news. What you experienced in the past, God wants to exceed that. He wants to do above and beyond what he did before. Oh, Jesus just paid my mortgage. Oh, what if he pays off your house? Can you believe him for that? Come on. Come on. Right? I'll tell you a story. I was, when, I really, when I first got born again, I was saved and everything. And um, uh, I prayed. I'd made some prayers, right? So God always partners with us. And so faith is definitely the way of the things. I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything. I, knew, I thought the book of Malachi, I used to pronounce it the Malachi. Malachi? 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 Job? Job was another one. Is this where we find out how to get a job? You know, we go to Job? <laughs> Nothing. I knew a few verses, but I knew enough to be dangerous. But I was praying and I was asking God. And part of the church I was out of was very faith-driven, which that we should be. Faith, man. It should be all about that. And they were telling you to expect things from God and things like that. And I wrote a couple of things down. I said I wanted to get a new truck. And so I ended up going up to see my family. For some reason, they're in another state. And I went up to see my family, and I was working, and I had come out, God had brought me so far from where I was. And, I, and even in that first year that I was walking with him, I had come so far that I'm driving a beater. I didn't care. I didn't care. I wasn't into the social capital of what I drove, right? And so I, I, I drove a car that was all beat up. I have to, when I'd go to work, I'd have to put water in the radiator. And then when I come to go home from work, I put water in a radiator. <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, well, I was broke, man. I traded a watch for that. I had a dive watch. And I traded a watch for that car, man. But it got me working. And it got me where I needed to go. And I was believing God for a new car. And when I was, our new truck, I needed a truck. And when I went up to see my family, um, I had an opportunity. Somebody connected me with someone. And I bought this used truck. And so I'm buying this used truck. And I get a phone call. From my uncle, who's, who, duh, my dad's brother, I know he's a sales manager at a Ford dealership. Like, he's the big poobah, he's the grand poobah, you know, the, the, the boss, whatever you want to call him. He's, he's the, the kahuna. And he calls me and he said, uh, Kevin, are you buying a truck? 
I said, yeah, I just bought it. He's like, why didn't you come to see me? And I'm thinking, well, it never occurred to me. You know, it just wasn't in my head. I thought I, I was I was buying what I thought I could afford. I was buying a used truck and I was buying this truck with $100 down and it was a used truck. And my uncle gets me on the phone and says, come see me. I mean, he's working in Ford, right? I'm like, like I can afford that. I don't even have any money to put down. I had a hundred bucks. <laughs> like, sounds good to me. Boom, I'll take that truck. I was like, whoa, thank you, Jesus. You were so good. Thank you for this truck. I go to my uncle. My uncle asked me what I did. I told him where I went. He said, what deal did they give you? And he said, and he goes, how much did you put down? And I told him, he said, I'm going to work a deal for you. He comes back out and he goes, and, and uh, um, uh, the guy wouldn't give, the guy didn't want to get out of the deal. My uncle gets on the phone and says, listen, you're getting, out, you know, anyway, my uncle was an interesting guy. He's a very big dude, you know, but uh, he said, you're getting out of this deal. And within 24 hours, that same $100 bought me a brand new Ford Ranger, right? Brand new. Yeah. And well, exceeding my expectations. And when I got home, and I got home, that's another story, but when I got home, I remember like looking in where I wrote down what I was expecting, and I was expecting a new truck. And the Lord said, did I get you what you wanted? How's that? And it just was so like, what? You know, nobody knew that. Nobody knew that desire. Nobody knew what I wanted. My expectation was, well, I can do this. And the Lord said, well, my expectation is I can do this. What's your expectation? Huh? We need to put faith on it. We need to write down our expectations and we need to believe God because he wants to exceed them. He wants to exceed them. He says, I'm, he says, this, the, he says this when he tells them this. I'm going to make a way in the wilderness. I'm going to make a road for you. Don't remember the former things. He said, I'm dreaming up something new to you and it's going to appear. He says, I'm going to make a way where there is no way. I'm going to make a way where circumstances say there is no way. People say no way. Jesus says yes way. <laughs> Circum come on circumstances say no way Jesus says yes way <laughs> yes way who told you that you need to expect something new and expect something greater don't remember even what he did before no who should it's a thing of past of the past he's a God of ever increasing favor this is who he is it's who he is right You've been believing God for a husband. He gave you the husband. Now believe him to give you a marriage that exceeds your expectations. True. You need faith in anywhere. You need faith in the marriage, man. And all the married people said, Amen. that's right. Amen. That's right. <laughs> he gave it to you. Now put expectation on that. Put faith on that. Jesus's introduction to Simon. He didn't even call him Peter yet. This is how, this is how Peter, whose name was Simon, Interesting story. Every time Peter was acting, when Peter was acting spiritual, he was Peter. You're a Peter and on this rock. Every time he was acting like his old self, Jesus called him Simon. What was he telling him? Peter, Simon, you're doing it again. You're acting like the old you. I don't see you as Simon, but you seem to see yourself as Simon. So he, kept, he would call him Simon. And that's why the church in their theological things, Simon Peter. Jesus often referred to Peter as Simon and Peter. You know, well, Why? Because Simon was the old him, and Peter was the prophetic identity that the Lord had spoken over him. Hmm? And Jesus was calling him into his prophetic identity, and Simon wanted to live in the former things. <laughs> and the way Jesus introduces him to him, Jesus is standing on the beach preaching. Peter's coming in from fishing, and Jesus looks at him and said, I need to borrow your boat. Launch out into the deep, and everybody say, let down your nets. That's right. And Peter said, we've been toiling all night, Lord. 
We're fishermen. We do, I think we know what we're doing here. I've been doing this since I was a kid. Nonetheless, at your word, and they went out. And the Bible says Peter let down the net. Jesus didn't tell him to let down the net. He told him to let down the nets. And so Peter's just like, throws it in there. And what happens? He exceeds his expectation. He said, didn't I tell you to let down the nets, Peter? You expect, what were you expecting? I'm telling you, we're going to put nets full. And the Bible says that the net became so full, Peter began to call for his friends. They went out and all of their boats were filled too. This is how he introduces himself to Peter. I'm a God who exceeds your expectations. Do not place me in the context of your limitations. Do not place the Lord in the context of your limitations. Yeah. We think it's impossible. Jesus said, who told you that? Did I tell you that? Did I tell you it was impossible? Did I tell you it can't be done? What is impossible with men is possible with God. Why don't you ask me what I say? And then why don't you ask me how I want to do this and what I need you to do in order for this to happen? Why don't you let me instruct you? Why don't you let me guide you? Why don't you, we let, you, why don't you let me tell you? Where do expectations come from? This is the next question. We have to have expectations. But where do I get them? Right? This is really powerful. So this is, again, this is like a big key right here because this is what causes these things to manifest. It's not, well, I'm expecting God for a house on a water. Oh, I'm expecting a Learjet and uh, that I don't have to work more than 10 minutes a day. That's what I'm expecting. Exceed that expectation, Lord. That's not the expectation he exceeds. He doesn't exceed that expectation. What expectation does he exceed? Well, I'm about to tell you. My soul trusts in the Lord, 62.5 Psalms, for my expectation comes from him. You understand? He is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. The Lord will tell you your expectations. If you ask him, you ask him. Last night I was putting myself to the test because I'm going to challenge you to write down three expectations. Ask the Holy Spirit, what are my expectations? Tell me expectations. And I asked him, I said, what are my expectations? Two of the things he told me I was not completely in my grid at all. It was not what I was thinking. It was not what I would have asked him for. And he said, I want you to ask me for this. This is what I want you to expect me for. I want you to expect me for these two things. This is what God will meet, what he sires in you. The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the what? Desires of your heart. Delight means to run with as in sport. It means, he's, it means to run with as in sport, to make yourself in worshipful surrender, pliable and moldable. The word desire is the same word where we get the word sire. So when we use that, this term is often used right now, it's used a lot in horse breeding, right? So when you have a thoroughbred, it's sired by who? And so what God does is he sires into you. That be, and that what he has placed within you becomes the desire of your heart. It's not human desire. It's divine desire. It's not human expectation. It's, it's divine expectation. His expectations are greater than yours. I'm telling you, last night I was just asking him. I said, what do you, what, I, I was like, well, what should I expect you for? And I have a few ideas. But I've been doing this a long time. And so I know the game. And I know that most of the time what I'm expecting is not good enough. And I know what I'm expecting is often off center from what he truly wants to do. And what he truly wants to do is greater. And so I had to ask, so I asked him, I said, what is it that you want me to expect? I felt like God was telling me, why stop at three? That's what I told him. That's what he told me. So why are you stopping at three? <laughs> yeah. I asked him, I said, what do you want? He said, I want you to believe me for this. 
And I was completely blown away. And then, I, then the next thing he said, and I want you to believe me for this. And then he started showing me my family. He showed me my family first, and then he showed me, you know, all of these different areas of my life. And I just wrote down categories. So what I'm going to be doing <laughs> over the next course of the next week is I'm going to find a margin, and I'm going to sit with the Lord, and I'm going to ask him, where do you want me to believe you? And for what? And I'm telling you, the Lord will tell you what you want. Hmm? He will tell you if you ask him. Holy Spirit, I was talking to my wife about this. We're talking about it tonight in Firestarters. John, First John says, uh, you have an anointing. You have no need that anyone should teach you for that same anointing instructs you. It doesn't mean that we don't need teachers. What Paul was emphasizing is the necessity of the Spirit's instruction. The necessity I was just talking to my wife about it, and I said that word for teaching is the word didactic, which means to stand before and instruct. The Holy Spirit will stand before you and instruct you if you'll let him. He will didactically instruct you if you'll let him. That's the question. We don't let him. Deep cries out to deep, right? Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. Yes. What does it mean to be a child of God? Well, we can go further. Child of God means you're an heir. It means all things belong to you. Heir of what? What do you, that's what I'm talking about. So we let the Holy Spirit instruct us. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to, what do you want me to expect you for? Where are the areas of my expectation? What do you want me to expect you for? You know what he's going to tell you? He's going to point to your diminishment and he's going to say, I want you to believe me for more. He's going to point to where you're deficient and where you've diminished yourself and he's going to go, go further. Or he's going to point to an area of your life that seems seemingly impassable to you. And he's going to say, put expectation there. This is what he's going to do. Two things he told me last night. Two things he told me last night. Again, they were not in my grid because I was thinking of myself, me, glorious me. I was thinking of me, 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 me. What are my expectations? And the Lord said, and he tells me, and he shows me expectations that are desires of my heart, but that they're, they're, they're something that I want, but I perceive them as impossible in my soul. It was wild what he told me. And I'd said in my heart, I'm like, wow, that does seem impossible. The Lord told me, I want you to expect me for that. This is what I want you to expect. Put faith on that and believe me and have an expectation, have an earnest expectation. I want you to speak over it. I want you to lay hands on it. I want you to say nothing contrary to that expectation. That's powerful. Say nothing contrary to that expectation. To confess is to say the same. Come on. Come on. This is what we do. The word confession means to say the same. So the Lord says, this is this. And I want you to say nothing contrary to what I told you. I want your faith on this. Ask him, man. I'm telling you. He's gonna, he wants to exceed it. He's going to point right at it. He says, you think this is impossible. No, I don't. Yes, you do. <laughs> He told me really powerful things. I was completely blown away. And then I realized I need more time to do this. The first two things he told me, I was like, it was wild. He will sire in your heart if you will run with him. That's what the word delight means. It means you're training with Jesus. You're running with him, right? You're doing some soccer drills. Delight means run with him as in sport. Make yourself in worshipful surrender, pliable and moldable pliable and moldable. What does that mean? You're submitting to him in worshipful surrender. Not my will, Lord, your will. I submit all things to you. Holy Spirit, what do you say? Boom. That's how it works. 
You have, to, you have to lower you in order to exalt him. Not lower you in the status, but lower your worshipful surrender unto him. That's how it changes. Isaiah 4, 42, 23. So he's going to say it with me. He's going to sire. All that, and that's as good as you guys can get. Come on. Gusto, Christian. He's going to sire. Yes. In me. Expectations that he intends to exceed. That's what he's going to do. He's going to put it in you, and he's going to say, believe me for that. Partner with me for that. Believe me for that. Isaiah says, who among you will give ear to this, and who will hearken for the time to come? Who's going to put faith on this? That's what he's saying. We hear a lot of things as Christians, and it goes in one ear and out the other. In one ear and out the other. Whoop, right over our head. Right? We're kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I think so, whatever. We, hiss, we listen, but we don't hear. Can I get a witness? We listen, but we don't hear. He that hears these sayings of mine and does them will be a house on a rock. Not hear who hears what I say. My house is on a rock because I heard what Jesus said. No, do you do it? Because the promise is laid to the point that you do what he says. So if you don't do what he says, then you're still not promised the rock. Just a thought, right? So we have to, li- not just, we have to not just listen and hear, but the Bible says hearken. It means do something. Hearken, come forth with it. Come, hearken means come, hear the call. Listen, hear the call, and come forward. You have expectation? Hear the call, come forward. Put three expectations down. Ask the Holy Spirit, you have homework. I say, I don't do homework on the weekends. It's all right. Jesus is going to help you. You have a tutor. You have a tutor. He's going to give you some tutelage. He's going to show you how to do it. Put some faith on it. You should make it. And say, I will speak nothing contrary to this. This is what I'm putting my faith on. And just lay your hand on it. If you don't, you're not eloquent in prayer, that's fine too. Just say, Lord, I am believing you for these expectations that you have given me. And I will speak nothing contrary to it. Okay. How many knows if you never do anything, you're never going to see anything? Christianity is not passive, it's active. Christianity is faith into the unknown and faith into the unseen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And we are to walk by and do things that are unseen. We are to walk by and do things that are not normal to the natural mind. That makes no sense. That's not logical, Pastor. Of course not. It's spiritual. It's not logical. It's spiritual. Spirit and logic don't always, are not always congruent, in case you didn't know that. Makes no sense. Lay hands on the sick and they can recover. Oh, that's logical. It's perfectly logical, isn't it? Right? Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, and your sins will be forgiven, and you'll be born again and restored under a right relationship. That's perfectly logical too, isn't it? That makes, that makes perfect sense. That's logic. No, it makes no sense at all. Because the spiritual and the logical do not always line up. That's what Paul told him. He said the Greeks worship the mind, and so the gospel is foolishness to them. Hmm? To the Jews, it's an offense. It's offensive because it's not what they thought it was. <laughs> The Jews are offended, and the Greeks think it's foolish. (laughs) The religious are offended. This isn't the way we should have to do it. God should just have to do it. Why do I have to write down my expectations? Why do I have to watch what I say and not speak anything contrary? I'm offended. Yep. And the logical goal, this doesn't make any sense. This is stupid. Exactly. You're either a religious mind, or you're a carnal mind, or you're a spiritual mind. Which one are you? Just a thought. (laughs) 
Believe me, you speak words of faith and Christians all day long going, I don't believe this. I don't think this is true. <laughs> religiously offended. We do. Just like the Pharisees, they get religiously offended. That's what Paul told them. They were offended because it wasn't the way that they wanted it to be. Jesus said, what shall I liken you to? Children in the marketplace saying we played flutes and you did not sing our songs. We mourned and you did not cry our laments. In other words, you didn't do what we wanted you to do. Exactly. And they were offended because Jesus didn't do what they perceived he should do. He was outside their narrow context of their, he was outside the narrow context of their thinking. Just a fact. And then the logical mind, this doesn't make any sense. So stupid. Oh, this is so dumb. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit. Okay, yeah. Right, Pastor. Yeah. Holy Spirit. Hmm. Bible says the word does not profit them because they did not mix it with what? Faith. The word is without profit if it is not mixed with faith. Fact. So you can stay where you are. You can drift in the, in the sea, or you can begin to step in and put faith and do what you've never done. Say it with me. If I want what I've never had, I must do what I've never done. If you've never written down your expectations and put faith on anything, today's your day. The time is now. Not next week. Not next time I teach the message. Now. The time is now. If you want what you've never had, you must do what you've never done. Believe God for an increase, Aurora. Believe God for a complete and total transformation of your entire clientele, every area of your life, every area of your life, believe him, ask him, where's my expectations, Lord? And he's going to say, expect me for that. Expect me for better than what you have and I'll exceed it. This is who he is. Believe him, Christian. You are worthy because he says you're worthy. You're not worthy because you say it. You're not worthy because the world says it. You're not worthy because anybody else's opinion matters. Jesus said you're worthy. Ask me. I did all this to make you worthy. Don't belittle it. By belittling yourself, you belittle me. Don't belittle me. You are worthy because I say so, not because you say so. Doesn't matter. Say it. My opinion doesn't matter. I know it's hard. We're Americans. We think our opinion matters. My opinion matters. One voice. I have a voice. My opinion matters. Not to Jesus. Not without relationship. Your opinion means nothing until you reach a depth of relationship and then he communes with you. Until then, he expects you to simply do what he asks you to do. And then when you've reached this level of communion, he starts a dialogue. Yeah, it's true. Your opinion doesn't matter. Your opinion of yourself doesn't matter. Well, I'm just a worm, no longer a man. Who told you that? Who told you that? You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Sons and daughters royal priesthood, holy nation, called out of darkness and into light. You're not in darkness, you're in light. To show forth what? The praises of him who has done this. Ambassadors of Christ, the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. If you're not above, that's not God's will. Are you under your circumstances? That's not God's will. If it's a temporary situation, you're coming around. But if you abide with under the circumstances and that is the longevity of your life, you are not is not God's purpose for you. His purpose for you is not to be under, but to be above. I don't believe that. Okay, see prior conversation. 
You got to put faith on it. At some point, you've got to come to the point where you're a believer and not a doubter. At some point, you've got to come to the, to the point where you're going to actually do this. I got saved when I was uh, 20 years old. I was like months away from my 21st birthday. Oons, 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 oons. You know, the glorious day when you can slap that ID on the counter and say, Ein mas bitte, one beer please. Right? And I got born again. And all that went away. <laughs> and in that process, I made a commitment to myself. And I said, I'm going to give this, I'm going to give it everything I've got. I'm not going to hold back. I'm going to give it everything I got with the tools that I have and the knowledge that will be afforded to me. And I will not look back. And if this gospel doesn't work within 10 years, I'll still be a young man and I can go and do something else. That was my idea. Yeah. People go, well, you should have never done it. Most Christians never go all in. I was saying, I'm going in for a decade. I don't care what he says. I'm doing it. If he says jump, I say how high. If he says jump through the wall, I say which one. That's who I am. Most Christians go, well, when we commit to Jesus, we commit for life, pastor, not for 10 years. Have you ever gone all in? I'm all in. All in. Everything's out of my life. Every negative influence, every single thing that was not of him, gone. Gone. Everything. Guarding my heart with all diligence. Building up in myself in the most holy faith. Doing every single thing he told me. Tithing, if, it took, if, I, mean, if I said I'm going to tithe, if I have to eat ramen noodles. If I have to live in my car and eat ramen noodles, I'm going to give because I want to know that this works. Lay hands on the sick. I'm like, bring them on. I don't know what I'm doing, but we'll give this a shot. Everything. Go out street witnessing. I'm in. I'm in. Have an amplifier in the back, a portable amplifier. We're down on, this is years ago when we started this church. This is a while ago, but I did that for so long. We used to go out on the beach uh, and when we were in the other church. And then when we came down here, we started going out on the beach again. Witnessing on the beach with a microphone. Jesus is here to start a riot. That's what I'd say. It's my first word. <laughs> Everybody's gathered around like, oh, is this guy going to sing? What's this guy going to say? Standing around, beers in their hands, looking at me. And I'm like, Jesus has come to start a riot. And they all go, poof. <laughs> then they all, they all started lingering. They lingered around. They didn't get too close anymore. And I had one guy come up to me with a corona. He's got a beer in his hand. He's like, hey, man, I'm a Christian. And um, I just want to let you know you're doing a good job. I'm like, come out of the closet, brother. Put the armor on. Take off the camouflage. All in. Never been less than all in. Been confused at times. Been disoriented at times. But I have never been less than all in. I had pastors telling me to calm down. Can you imagine? Calm down. Do you know how many times I told them that? They told me that? Calm down, Kevin. Pastors. Calm down. Jesus said, did I tell you to calm down? Did I tell you? It doesn't matter what they say. Did I tell you to calm down? Let your light so shine. That didn't mean that I was right in everything I was doing. Sometimes I was a little bit too, shall we say, aggressive. <laughs> I was a little too bright in when I was shining. I would go out and I would witness and I would be like, boom, there it is. Where are you going to be, huh? You going to heaven? You going to hell? Which one's it going to be? I mean, I was like on the point, man. It was, that was me. I had to refine myself. I had to trim myself down. I was a rough cut garment. Jesus had to tailor me. 
You know, he had to make me like a little bit, I was a little, little rough. I was a little Sears and Roebuck. Jesus had to make me a little more Armani. He had to kind of, you know, refine me a little bit. But he will. But he never told me to calm down. He told me to, do, we'll do this in process, Kevin. If you will listen. If you will listen to me and you will listen to the wise that are around you. And I had an older pastor who's in his 70s. He never told me to calm down. That's the guy I listened to because he understood me. He understood me. And because he understood me, I would listen to him. Everybody else, because you know why? The exceeding, the, like I made them feel bad. I made them look bad. They were like, well, it doesn't work like that. And, dur, 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 dur. and I'd just be like, dude, I don't even care. I'll jump out of the plane without a parachute. I don't even care. That's, that's me. Where, where are you? You know, I've had people, oh, you, you commit to 10 years? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Have you ever gone all in? Let's look at the decades of your life that you've walked with the Lord. Have you gone all in? Have you put it all on the line more than once? Have you? Have you put it on the line? Have you risked everything for his name? It's true. Eight. Huh? So fat. It's a fact. Out of 100 people, 18 people. Right. So true. So true. All in. Jesus is a God of his word. Say it with me. He has the means and the will to fulfill what he says. He is no respecter of persons, but he does honor faith and partnership. Faith activates favor. Got to put faith on it. So here's a question, right? So where do desires come from? Desires come from the Lord. He, or if you ask the Holy Spirit, he will tell you where to put your expectation. Believe me for that. Can you guys do that this week? Can we do that? Can we do that? Can we get some testimonies here? We have a lot of testimonies, by the way. We have tons of them. But let's start like just creating. We got miracle testimonies all over the place. We have breakthrough testimonies all over the place. People having breakthroughs all the time. But let's get some, let's get some ones where we were intentionally believing God for that. And this is what happened. Do it. So the desires come from the Lord. They're going to come from him. If you will worship, make yourself pliable, he'll tell you. How do you know it's from the Lord? How do you know this desire is from the Lord? It, it aligns with God's character and his word. That's number one. It's in his character. You say, I want to be successful. I have a desire in my heart to be successful. Is that of the Lord. The Lord delights in the prosperity of his people. That's of the Lord. Right? I will make you the head and not the tail above only and not beneath. It's of the Lord. The Lord your God has given you the ability to obtain wealth that you may establish this covenant in the land. That's of the Lord. It's of the Lord. What is your desire? I want a husband. I want a wife. He that finds a husband, he that finds a wife, finds a good thing. That's of the Lord. I want children. Right? I want children. The Bible says that the, they're like arrows in the hand of a, of a bowman. May your quiver be full. That's of the Lord. What's of you? I want health. Right? That you may prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. It's God's will that, you're, that you prosper and be in health. It's even as a soul prospers. What is your desire? What is your expectation? It, it aligns with his word and his character. It opens the imagination to greater possibilities and motivates you. Motivates you. It seems impossible. You're going to identify with this one. How do I know it's of the Lord? If it seems impossible and you can't do it alone, it's of Jesus. 
<laughs> so here's what it looks like. You get really excited. The Lord shows you something. You're like, wow, the possibilities of that would be amazing. Lord, yes, I believe it. And then all of a sudden it's like, how am I going to do this? I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't have the ability to do that. <laughs> Does it mean the desire is not of God? It will inspire the possibilities and motivate you, but it will seem impossible. It will knot your heart and you won't be able to let it go. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody got that? Anybody? Anybody at all? Huh? There's something in your heart and you can't let it go. You don't know what to do with it, but it's there. You keep trying to smash it down, make it be quiet, but it keeps coming up. It keeps coming up. It's of the Lord. Not everyone shares your enthusiasm. We're going to do this. And they're like, ha, ha, yeah, okay, yeah, that's great. Just because people don't share your enthusiasm doesn't mean it's of the Lord. It's not of the Lord. Not everybody's going to get excited about the vision God gives you. It's true. Very true. You're going to experience, do you experience resistance, setbacks, discouragements, difficulties, frustrations, and you want to quit. That just might be of the Lord. God, the devil doesn't give you a clean run at it. He doesn't. He resists the kingdom. So when the kingdom inspires and the desire inspires in your heart and the spiritual alignment comes in with heaven, that's what he resists. He doesn't resist your commute to work. The devil's not keeping you from your commute to work, but he is resisting the kingdom manifestation in your life. That's what he, opposes, that's what he opposes. It consumes and defines your life. The passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson, that's all he talked about for about two decades that he had to make that movie. He couldn't get away from it. He would be on the set, he'd be on the set of another movie, and he'd, they, people around him said he was always talking about making that movie. The, it was consuming him. He couldn't get away from it because it was a desire of God. The Lord wanted a new interpretation, and he'd and he chosen him to do it. Habakkuk, I will stand my watch. You guys getting anything out of this? Yes? All right, good, good. Am I going too long? <laughs> All right, a little bit. I'm going to close right here. This is good for you. Habakkuk, I will stand my watch and I will set myself on the rampart. I will see what the Lord will say to me and I will answer when I am corrected. The just shall live by faith. And the Lord said, write the vision that he that reads it may run with it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but in the end it will speak. And in the end it will not lie. Though it's Harry's, wait for it because it will come. And when it comes, it will not stop. He says, I will stand my watch. In other words, I will do what I must do. You want God to speak? You want God to give you something? You want God to show you what you believe him for? Stand your watch. Do what you got to do. Get up on the rampart, which means look higher. You have to be willing to look higher than what you've looked. Look higher. Though it tarries. So watch and see what he says. It's a prophetic vision. I will watch and see what he says. How do you see what he says? That's prophetic. The only way you can see what the Lord is saying is if it's prophetic. It's a prophetic vision. You do what you got to do. You look higher. And it's a prophetic vision that he gives you. And I will answer, which means I will do as I'm instructed. And then he says, I will respond when I'm corrected. So God's going to give you a vision and he's going to give you instructions. And he's going to correct you. And so Habakkuk's talking about how to manifest the things that God wants for us. And one of the things is, is I'm going to do what he tells me. I'm going to respond when he corrects me. He will correct you. This idea that Jesus doesn't correct us is crazy. He chastens whom he loves. He will correct you. He'll tell you, wrong answer, Kevin. Try again. And he says, I will have faith and expectation. And he tells them, then the Lord gives him, gives him uh, uh, something to do. Write it down. Say it with me. The, sharp, the dullest pencil is greater than the sharpest mind. Write it down. Write it down. Record it, whatever. Write it down. 
Make it plain. Make it simple. Read it. And when you read it, run with it. In other words, read what I told you and become inspired. Read what I told you and put expectation on it. If it seems like it's delaying, wait. When it comes, it will happen suddenly. Suddenly. Right? God's the God of the suddenly. I don't know if you know that. The book of Joel was prophesied a thousand years before it actually happened. Joel in Acts chapter 2. Joel, chap, uh, Joel chapter 1. In the last days, the Lord will pull his spirit out on all flesh. And sons and daughters will prophesy. He said, all, he said that in Joel. And then uh, it's quoted in Acts chapter 2. One thousand years later. The Bible said when it came to pass, it used the word suddenly. So a thousand years is suddenly to the Lord. A thousand years later, suddenly. <laughs> the Lord's like, that didn't take that long. A thousand years is, is a day. That was like a day. What are you talking about? That didn't take that long. <laughs> Hear and hearken. So here's your instructions. Hear it, hearken, write it down, activate it. Are there qualifications to it? Do them and seek further instructions. Three areas of expectation, Christian. What are you doing tonight? Say it with me. Three areas of expectation. Why? Say it with me. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Do you want to please the Lord? Anybody? Then put faith on it. Is without faith, you cannot please him. He wants us believing him for something. Three areas of expectation. Ask the Holy Spirit for the 12 months coming. You're going to write it down and you're going to put July whatever on it. You're going to stick it in a drawer or whatever in your phone somewhere. You're going to do something with it and you're going to see and you're going to believe God for it and you're going to have expectation and you're going to see it. Feed your faith, starve your doubts, put faith on it. Put verses around it. If God told you something, put verses around it. Put verses around it. Put a couple verses around it, see it, declare it, pray over it, and do it. And he will exceed your expectations. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? I got one person in front of me. Do you believe it? Come on. Yes, Christian. You believe it at all. We bless you. Amen. So we're going to bless you guys. We're going to dismiss. We're going to uh, close the service. Fire starters is this afternoon at four o'clock. We're, we're going to talk about impartation and anointing. If you want to come, you're more than welcome to. And in the meantime, let me do an impartation over you right now. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. Hey, we have a prayer team available over here. If you need prayer for anything, uh, there's going to be someone over there to pray over you. In Jesus' name.